Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Well, I want to share for a few minutes, and then I'm going to call Keith Jennings up here, and we'll just chat back and forth for a few more minutes before we come to the table. I want to share a little bit uh, about a portion of our house church expression. We've, we're spending most of August just preparing for these house churches, which, as I shared last week, I just I could not be more excited, could not be more amazed. We have about 190 people signed up for house churches, which just blows my mind, um, and we're just so thankful for that. And so last week, we looked at the why of house churches, uh, and we talked about this idea that we have a shared belonging to one another, members of the new family of Jesus, parts of the body of Christ, we need each other. The community cannot flourish without your well-being, and you cannot be well without the flourishing of the community. And uh, so we need one another. And then next week, we're going to look at the how of house churches. We'll walk through a format of a house church Sunday. We'll meet our house church leaders, do a quick discussion with them, and, and really land on the idea that we also share a table. We share a belonging. We share a commitment. We share a participation. We share a table. We share a meal. And then today, I want to talk about the overflow of our house churches. What comes out of these? How do we love those outside the parish? Because after all, we are a part of a shared city, a, a, a thing bigger than ourselves that we live in, the communities, the neighborhoods, the towns, the areas that we live in. And so uh, as we thought about house churches, we started with this question of like, what is it that we hunger for as a community? What's important? And, and some of the things we landed on, you've heard me share this before as we've talked about house church, but we hunger for deeper formation. We want to be more like Jesus this time next year than we are today. Uh, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's intentional work that we cooperate with God in. That's the inner journey, right? And, uh, and, then, and then we want to have deeper, more meaningful community with one another, uh, relationships that matter where who can I call when my world falls apart and community functions like this bridge from the inner journey to the outer journey because I need community for the sake of my own formation but ultimately my own formation is only whole it's only well when it overflows into community and then into what we're calling faithful presence which is living beyond ourselves the outer journey how do we think about those who may never hear about the parish how do we make an impact uh, and influence for the, for the sake of others in our broader community? And so house churches force us out of the nest of this place and into these kinds of things that all feel risky, all feel vulnerable, and, uh, and we're going to get to try our hand on them. I think the parish has always done a good job emphasizing the inner journey right? We talk a lot about contemplative spirituality, emotional health. All of life is prayer. We gather around this table. All those things are essential. We will always emphasize those things. But I think we've had a harder time finding models for the outer journey. How do we practically support one another in being present to our neighbors? Um, and, and how do we do that in ways that are both intentional, but also are organic and are well-discerned uh, and are ongoing, not just a thing we do, but 
who we are, the overflow of who we are. And, uh, and so house churches get to do that for us. They, they're going to push us out into our wider community where we get to love our neighbors through sacrificial service and care. Uh, one of the hopes with house churches is that they become hyper-localized. There are needs in Roswell that do not exist in Forsyth and, and vice versa. And so we get to have more specific, more concrete ways to love our neighbors as we get smaller. Um, and so a big part of the house church model is what we're calling community care, community care. And certainly there will be a liturgy or a worship portion of the house church. We'll share communion, we'll share community, we'll have a meal together. But there's also going to be this community care expression. One person or several people within each house church will be the community care leaders who are really guiding the discerning work. How do we walk in the way of Jesus for the sake of others, for the sake of our neighbors, for the well-being of those around us, for the flourishing of our city? And so they're going to guide in that process, and the goal is then to hopefully prayerfully determine what committing to a particular thing might look like, and then that whole house church gets on board with this being part of what it looks like for us to walk in the way of Jesus by tangibly loving our neighbors. Um, and then that becomes something that everybody's participating in. Uh, on an ongoing basis, not as that one-off, not as the box to check, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's what it means to overflow in the way of God. God is a self-giving, for-the-sake-of-others kind of God, and we want to join him in that kind of presence that flows out of our prayer. Our inner prayer flows out into outer presence. Uh, we get this passage that Katie just read, and in verse 8 and 9, there's this fascinating piece here. You know, your salvation will come like the dawn, uh, as you care for others, as you think about the poor, the homeless, as you share your food, as you stop pointing the finger, as you stop gossiping about others, then your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. The glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. You'll call out to God and he'll answer, yes, here I am. And among the other gut punches of that passage, what's happening here for me is a reminder that God's interested in more than my own private spiritual journey. Um, God is interested in something bigger than that and a rich inner spiritual life that does not overflow into sacrificial love for others is actually a malnourished faith. Um, it's, a, it's a dead sea kind of faith, right? It's flowing in, but it's not flowing out. And we can fast and we can practice spiritual disciplines. We can get spiritual direction. We can go to counseling. We can learn all the ways of emotional health and we can still go, God, I'm calling out. Why aren't you answering God, I have these wounds, they're not healing. God, where's my, where's my salvation in this, right? And I don't wanna make this formulaic, I don't wanna make it prescriptive. I'm not saying do this and then everything will be fine, don't mishear me. But what I am saying is there seems to be something hinting in this passage, something bound up in this passage that we cannot only think about our own spiritual journey. Uh, mastering the prayer practices alone is not enough. Something begins to fall into place when we also begin to love others beyond comfort, when we also begin to look outward because that's how God is. Uh, and so we meet God not only in the prayer closet, but on the city streets and with our neighbors. Um, okay, I think historically churches were less susceptible to that kind of inner outer journey divide, but it's happened more in recent generations. The church used to sit at the city center. It used to sit at the neighborhood center. It was called the parish, right? It was this little part of the body of Christ for the sake of this little neighborhood, and that's what we hope to reclaim uh, from some of this. And so what I wanna do, Keith Jennings uh, is uh, a vice president of social impact. Did I get that right? community impact at uh, Jackson Healthcare, his whole job, his whole expertise 
is doing this kind of work well uh, for the sake of others, giving of ourselves well and being present to the needs of our community and the opportunities of how we might partner along with others. And so Keith's been guiding us through this process uh, and has been really giving us a, a really helpful framework for how we might do this work well and so what I'd love to do is have Keith come up here, and we're just gonna chat for a few minutes about how we hope to see this uh, play out in house churches. And we're gonna learn from Keith's expertise. And then Keith is going to be guiding the community care leaders within each house church that they might then take some of that uh, learning that he's bringing to the table and that we can walk that out together as a community. So uh, Keith, thank you, first of all. For, for doing this, for being who you are, and uh, for guiding us in this process. Um, as we have talked, you have shared a little bit about uh, what you've called the social determinants of health, which is a new phrase to me, um, and we've got them up on the screen here. I think the idea here is that there are things that matter to everybody in our community, follower of Jesus or not, um, and that there are ways that we can uh, use this to help guide our our presence to others. Would you share more for us about this and how this might inform our house church model? Sure. First of all, hello. Um, uh, this is an area that I'm not an expert. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. This is one of those areas that the deeper you go, more you learn. All you do is realize how much you don't, you just don't know and understand. Uh, but fortunately, you know, uh, from, the, uh, from the business community, from the uh, civic community, and from the church community, they're great. Uh, there are great frameworks that have been developed, you know, over the, the centuries, and um, a lot of new, really interesting research coming out uh, that, that is, is continuing to guide, you know, how organization, how collectively, you know, we can work to, to help others, you know, without causing harm, uh, unintended harm. Uh, with those. So, you know, ha have y'all heard this phrase? Are any of y'all familiar with social determinants of health? Okay, so I grew up the son of a hospital executive, so I thought this was a normal thing. And then I'm, I'm starting to learn, oh, no, this is not common language. Um, it's just a fancy word, so you can go to the CDC, obviously Wikipedia uh, will get you there, but uh, to kind of learn, if you want to dig deeper into what this is, all it really means is that where we live and work impacts our health for better or worse. That's all this means. And uh, so obviously uh, there, are, there, there, are, there are groups of us that live and work in places uh, where that can have a, a, a very negative impact on our overall health and our collective health. Uh, and then there's places you know, North Fulton, you know, generally would be a place where the, the, the environment kind of allows people to thrive at some level, right? So, so it, it positively uh, impacts health at that level. And so uh, what happens as you kind of go through these pillars, you got to think, you know, access to school, access to literacy, you know, access to training falls under kind of the education bucket, uh, you know, in healthcare, access to healthcare, access to a doctor, access to medication, um, uh, access to diagnostic and screening information, key, you know, to uh, how well can we rebound and recover and, and, and discover something before it's terminal, uh, or at least get ahead of it uh, and help manage that. Neighborhood, a uh, piece in the center there simply is where you uh, live and work safe. Uh, is it safe? Is it a safe place to be? 
Uh, what's the, you know, what, how long does the average person live in, in that zip code or community or neighborhood? And then the you know, social and community uh, context is just what organizations exist that bring people together. So these are, you know, think civic organizations, think churches, uh, think how do people gather? And it, it, can people even gather? Are there places to gather? And as we're starting to talk, you can see how this is an ecosystem, right? Yeah, if one of these gets out of balance, uh, it, it has a ripple effect through all these. Uh, and then economic stability simply means, uh, can you get work? You know, is there a process in place where you can get a job and keep a job and make a wage where you don't, you know, go in debt that you can you, know, you can thrive as an individual? So that kind of tees up what's happening. So you know, what I'm looking, you know, what I tend to look at and people that work in this space is okay when you have a Roe versus Wade decision, uh, right? Okay, what's the what's the ten-year ripple effect of that? Well. We're really looking at foster care, right? We're really looking at adoption. We're really looking at, okay, what kind of family infrastructures are in place in the state of Georgia to be prepared to get us there? Because we already have too few foster families. We just do. We have too few foster families in Georgia. Over 700 uh, young people age out of the foster care system in Georgia every year. There are thousands. Uh, you know, and I won't bore you with the statistics, but anytime you're interested, I'm happy to send them to you. But, you know, incarceration rates, um, uh, it, it, there, every piece of this impacts like a foster child, right? So a uh, kid, uh, you know, a young person in Atlanta, uh, the metro area comes out to their parents. Uh, many, many, you would not, you, it would shock you how many get kicked out of their house. Family disowns them, they're homeless. They don't have a job. Where do they go? Who takes care of them? Well, how do they get back on their feet? Um, so as you kind of go through, kind of go through these, there are there you know there are groups that are constantly watching what's happening by zip code in these areas, uh, so that we can be aware of maybe what's coming and what tr what's trending. Food insecurity, mm -hmm. obviously, with inflation being like it is. Our food pantries are low locally right now. Uh, because food insecurities increase because the cost of living. And so, you know, where it may, I'm finding it's not affecting uh, a lot of middle to upper class. Uh, we're, not, we're not really changing our spending. I can tell you we're, we're changing our giving. I'm seeing giving decline, but not lifestyle and spending change right now. So, so all these are pieces that kind of drive into mm -hmm. this. And so as we as a church start leaning into, okay, as a house church, how do we love and serve our neighbor you know, good place to start is kind of look locally at what's going on through this kind of a lens. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I love how helpful this is because these are things that matter to everyone, Jesus follower or not. I mean, like me and all of my neighbors care about having safe schools to go to mm -hmm. and me and all of my neighbors care about inflation and mm -hmm. me and all, like Jesus follower or not, it matters. Do I have access to a safe place to work and a safe right. place, safe street to walk That's on? It. So, and it's kind of, Mas this is a fancier version of like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Is kind of how do you create the building blocks for someone to, to thrive yeah. and ultimately become, uh, kind of transcend themselves so that they can be self-giving. Yeah. Mm. I, the other thing I love about this is that it's driving us back into the ordinary stuff of life. You know, I think one of the yeah. always dangers of spirituality is we can end up with a faith that's actually divorced from the stuff of life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, how, how is that possible? And yet it happens all the time. And so I, I wonder if the question for us becomes how do we live redemptively in these categories? 
what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in these categories and how might that impact the way I show up to others? Um, I think one of my hopes with this is that we would start dreaming about these categories. What would it look like if as a church, if as a house church, we said, what if we, uh, sorry, I'm pointing back here. It's the same thing you guys see up there. (laughs) You don't have to turn around. But uh, what if, what could we do? What if we, can you imagine if, what would it look like to dream about these kind of categories and be discerning about how we might be present to them? So that tees up my other big question for you, which is about discernment. Uh, I have in the past struggled with the outer journey because it seems like there are needs that need to be met. And that's fine, but I think one of the things I've heard you invite us into is we need to start with abundance. We need to start with what do we already have? Who do we already know? What gifts do we already bring to the table? What are the unique possibilities in this collection of people? And then how do those intersect with the needs of the community around us? Um, and, And how do we work from that position of strength, so to speak? It sounds like, to me, that's part of tapping into discernment, that we would not just go try to meet a need, but instead would find out how does this flow organically out of who we are You know, I look around the parish and I see this huge amount of spiritual directors and counselors in our community, like abnormal amount. And I go, oh, we live in this time where mental and emotional health's a big deal. Maybe there's something for us there. And and just as an example, like there are ways maybe we have some launching points out of who we are. So talk to us about how you want to guide us through discerning our place in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think it was back in, I can't remember when I I shared the message on community-related stuff back in October or something like that. But one of the little some of the fun I had with y'all was um, you know how many how many nonprofits are in Fulton County uh, you know and how many are in Metro Atlanta how many are in Georgia how many are in the US and uh, it's it's staggering so you know in Georgia there's somewhere around 70,000 registered 501c3s you know that's a ballpark most of them are in Atlanta metro area so how can how many would you say we are hundred and 170, 180, okay. yeah. Well, we've got 190 signed yeah. up for house right, churches, so maybe we're more than I realized. So how on earth are 190 of us going to make an impact in just, just like, just to say the 15,000 nonprofits right around us here? Like, and that's a question I have for our employees at Jackson Healthcare, too. We're 1,700, 1,400 here in Atlanta. How are we going to make an impact? Impact just means a dent. Think of a meteor, you know, hitting the ground and making a crater. It's a, it's a permanent change. How are we going to do that? And the, the answer is focus. Uh, and so kind of the first step of discernment uh, really is what should our focus be? And, uh, and so kind of, you, you, you kind of go, you know, go backwards in a way, right? How, what you do and how you do it should be driven by a why. And then, but that why is actually should be framed in name by a who. And that who is your values, uh, is your values. And, and as a church, we have values, right? We've got be present, be, be generous, be healthy, be uh, United, simple. simple. Yeah. And so that's where, we, that's where we start collectively is saying, okay, out of our core values, uh, you know, where, where, where could we focus? And then that focus tends to come from uh, inherent strength uh, and giftings uh, that we have. And so that, that first step of discernment is getting clarity on, okay, how, how am I gifted and how, is, how are we as a, as a house church, you know, in this house church as we come together, what are, what are our collective giftings and how do those kind of add up? And then 
you know, from there, the, the easy part and the hard part is now you have to listen for God. <laughs> right? So it, it, you really, at that point, really have to say, okay, uh, out of contemplation, we'll discern our focus. Um, but then out of that contemplative state, out of that focus, God's going to call us to act. And then it's time to act. It's time to go out. It's time to serve. Uh, it will be, un- it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, not, it's inconvenient. Uh, and, uh, but, but just think of it as a divine inconvenience, right? Mm-hmm. All the great stories of the Bible start with a divine inconvenience. <laughs> and so uh, just, it, it, right? Wow. And so uh, as long as you can kind of name it as that, lean in, act. Uh, and, then, and then we'll move into assessment, right? So as our house churches start, start moving out, uh, and serving in, in ways that were called, uh, we need to move back into assessment to say, you know, how did that, what went well, what didn't go well, how could we do better? That's moving back into that contemplative flow, mm-hmm. right? So it's that rhythm of contemplation and action. Uh, so the first step of discernment for us is going to be, what are our giftings? Uh, and then what's, you know, from a social determinants perspective, what's going on around us here? What's going on around us, and, and where might there be some intersection or overlap that we, we might want to pay attention to? It's beautiful. That's good. We are out of time, but that's the work. Uh, that's the work that is going to be the conversation in the house churches over the next few months that Keith's going to be guiding each house church through uh, in collaboration with the community care leader what is the thing for us to focus on and how do we do that well? Many of you, when you signed up for a house church, there was a little box on the bottom that said, are you interested in helping facilitate community care and outreach or impact? Or I don't remember what word we said. We thought like maybe two of you would check that box and like 60 of you checked that box, which how cool is that? It left us with a problem of going, well, now what? (laughs) There's too many people. And so here's what I'm gonna say is after hearing how we wanna go about this, if something in you is saying like, I got to be a part of that. Would you come talk to me? Because we would love to have some of you shape and lead those efforts, probably by committee. The hope is all of us do this, right? By, by no means is it going to be, oh, those people go do this now. But those people lead and spearhead and help the rest of us get on, on board. So, Keith, thank you. I appreciate it. Let's uh, express our gratitude to Keith. Uh, we're we're going to come to this table in a second, but I do want to end with this picture. This is a church uh, in Washington, D.C. called Church of the Savior, and uh, that's their building there. You can see it's got a for sale sign uh, because they don't meet there anymore. Uh, the reason they don't meet there anymore is uh, in 1976, they had 120 core members, smaller than the group of people who called the parish home. And uh, their pastor, Gordon Cosby, had this sense that we need an inner journey and an outer journey. And so they developed a house church model. They intentionally divided into six, which are now eight worshiping communities. Each one had its own sense of call and its own sense of specific focus of concerns they wanted to address. And they've been at it for 40 years now. Uh, And those 120 original members today have become 40 separate ministries. Let me give you a few names. Academy of Hope, which does reading, math, and computer education for adults. They've got one called Bethany Inc., which is transitional housing for women and children. The Christ House, which is respite medical care for the homeless. They've got a community garden, a faith and ecology retreat center. They've got a drop-in center for young children. They've got an arts and coffee shop. They've got a sense or a place for individual and group counseling. They've got reunion, which is restorative justice to end mass incarceration. That all flowed out of 120 people saying, like, how do we be present to this thing? 
and uh, that challenges me, and it excites me. One day we're going to end in another shared city where all the well-watered gardens that we help create in Roswell and Johns Creek and Forsyth become part of the holy city coming out from heaven, become part of the new Jerusalem where God takes all of that and takes all these gardens that started in Genesis 1 and turns them into a series of gardens which becomes a giant city, the holy city where God's dwelling comes with us. We might be able to be part of the repairing of that breach, the restorer of those streets. And so I'm excited to enter into that with you all. Uh, Amen and amen.